0: The following program is recommended for ages 18 and over due to adult content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Behind the Scenes, a look at some of the sometimes steamy inside of Hollywood with your host, Hollywood executive and former Victoria's Secret model, Summer Helene. Our program features the gossip, the dish, and the stories of what's really going on behind your favorite movies, television shows, and celebrities from the people who are involved in the industry. Now, here is your host, Summer Helene. G'day, guys. Welcome to Behind the
1: Scenes. I'm your host, Summer Helene, and. I was going to make a joke. I was going to start with saying it 's a real dark day for Canada and therefore the world. I was going to make a South Park reference, uh, but as somebody who grew up in the commonwealth i'm i 'm pretty shattered. My queen just died
2: uh, i I said it in a I actually tweeted about it and talked about this to a couple of different people i didn 't really understand uh, as an American how much of a loss it would be when the queen passed for everyone in the commonwealth. But actually seeing you cry and seeing it that affected our, uh, our family, I think I have a greater grasp on what she would have meant to everyone.
1: I think what it is, I, I've never been alive without Queen Elizabeth. She spent 70 years on the throne. There's only a small population of this world that ever existed in a time without Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. And what made her so special is that she was an incredible statesman. We didn't know her political views. Uh, when you look at uh, now King Charles... Sorry, I got myself together, I'm not crying now. Give me a few minutes, I will be again. When you look at now King Charles, we, we kind of know where he is politically. The Queen was kind of that last vestiture of a monarch that stuck to the old ways. We didn't know who she was personally or where she was politically so we could project ourselves onto her. It's when you look at film, I hate this comparison. I mean, no insult. I love McQueen. Um, when you look at a film, the lead character is never the quirky, quirky one. It's always the supporting cast because you have to see yourself as that lead character to, to, to picture yourself in that movie or to picture yourself in that scenario. There's a reason the lead actor is usually so much more boring than, than the others. And in the Queen's case, you hear stories of her having a natty sense of humor. There's a great story about up at Balmoral, she was with her bodyguard, Dickie, and uh, bumped into a couple of Americans while they were wandering around. The the Americans had asked her if she was local, and she said, oh, well, I'm from London, but I have a holiday house over the hill.
2: It's pretty cheeky.
1: It was pretty cheeky. And uh, they turned around and said, well, how long have you been coming here? And she said about 80 years. And they got excited and said, well, then you must know the queen. And she said, oh, no, I, I don't know her at all. Uh, but Dickie does. And so they got really excited and took pictures with this bodyguard, asked the queen to take the pictures. Uh, and, you know, it reminded <laughs> And then they took one with her and her comment when they left was, I wish to I could have been a fly on the wall when somebody tells them who I am. When they show them pictures at home. You know, this is a woman who who was invited to a couple's wedding because she was going to be in town that day. Right. And said, no. And she said, the reason she said no, and she got this wedding invitation a year beforehand was because if she said yes, they had to set up the police escorts and all the stuff and it would interrupt this woman's wedding. So she said, no, showed up with the husband with, with the Duke of Edinburgh and surprised them.
2: That's awesome. That's what you wouldn't think it's, I, I think from a smaller, and I don't mean this to compare this to myself, but it's my only experience with this. Um, whenever I respond to a comment on social media, I'm like, "Oh, it's incredible! I never thought you'd reply," you know, we're we're all at the end of the day people. We all get a kick and did have fun and talk to Did you just compare yourself
1: to her Majesty the I late did. Queen of England? I
2: did. And, don't don't. <laughs> and so when she shows up to events of like that, and people get super excited, I'm sure she, every part of her wanted to go to this wedding. She wanted to be able to enjoy it, put a smile on people's face.
1: She wanted to make people happy. There you go. And I think that's what was so incredible. I think she was she was a great statesman. She she. She was the last great statesman. No, that's not true. We still have uh, the queen mother of Spain, Queen Sophia. Okay. So... Um, I don't
2: know anything about Queen Sophia. I hate you. No, you don't. A little bit. Okay.
1: So she's... It, we're, we're releasing the last vestiges of the old way. And I was shattered when outside Buckingham Palace, they started singing God Save the King. And so that's really hard for me. This is a woman that's been on my money. My grandmother used to tell us growing up, "Mind your manners, or you'll never have tea with the Queen." When we were learning our table manners, she has been the backdrop of our entire life, or at least mine. Yeah, she was always on the money. She was always present when we go to the Returned Servicemen League. My dad was in the service. He was with the uh, her. He he was with the Australian Royal Navy. He was with Her Majesty's Navy, and I think that really is something you don't think about how entrenched monarchy is in our life and i'm hearing now actually um republican views and and so anyone knows this isn't political to america this isn't like republican democrat it's people in my country that want a republic and i'm starting to hear echoes from australia of people wanting a republic which i don't i'm happy with a monarchy I'm hearing it from people in, you know, the Caribbean. You're hearing it from people around the world saying, well, now that she's gone, what is the point of a monarchy? And I was worried, you know, would would Prince Charles step up to the task? And I really think he did. His first speech as king was perfect. It set a good tone. Prince William's going to be stepping into the Prince of Wales. I think the Duchess of Cambridge will make a wonderful Princess of Wales. And I hope... I'm just going to shout this out in case anyone in his PR team hears us. I'm a media strategist. Listen to me. Send Prince William and the Duchess of Cambridge on tour through the colonies, through the Commonwealth. It's not colonies anymore. It's now the Commonwealth. Um, send them on tour through the Commonwealth. Send them to Australia, Canada. Send them everywhere. New Zealand and South Africa. S- send them everywhere. And the reason you want to do that is everyone likes them better. than than I keep wanting to say Prince Charles, but it's King Charles. Everyone likes them better. And so I would use that because I don't think people, when they lose monarchy, realize what they do lose. Yes, you know, it's um, built on the back of imperialism and there is a lot of dark history there for sure. But... Her majesty has led an extraordinary life. She's lived through more change and reigned through more change than any other monarch. And the second Elizabethan age, I mean, we've gone from a point where the, the queen sent the first email in the 70s. We've come from a point where radio was the way to communicate to the phone in your pocket. Things have changed so drastically. She, she was on Zoom.
2: Hmm. Yeah, she was. forgot about that. You know, I thought and this is ridiculous to be fair, but I did think for some reason she would just outlive everyone. You know, I, I know it's not realistic, but I just expected my grandkids would grow up under Queen Elizabeth.
1: I think it was well put. She's because she's been the backdrop of our lives, especially in the Commonwealth. You don't think about that. And because her mother lived to 101, I think there was an expectation that she would too, mm. that she'd live past 100. And I desperately wanted her to. I'm not, I wasn't ready to lose the Queen. But I do have to say. To be
2: sure, I don't think you would have been ready at any point.
1: No. She
2: made it to a hundred, be like she can make another hundred. <laughs>
1: she can, she can make it a few more years. <laughs> just, just get it to carry just on.
2: Always a few more years.
1: And I think that's that's the hard point. Is she's been that part of our lives. So for people in the Commonwealth, it's quite shattering to lose her. Right. Really shattering. So. No, it's not.
2: It's not easy on anyone we see we actually I watched a video and you and I both watched this video but a older gentleman retired veteran crying right in front of uh, Buckingham, Palace. Buckingham Palace talking about uh, the queen and her passing and what it meant to him it's it's a it's a dark and he said dark day it was a horrible day yesterday when the news got dro-
1: dropped. I think what it is for everyone, they're talking about calling her Elizabeth the Constant. They're talking about Elizabeth the Beloved and Elizabeth the Great.
2: Yeah, the Great. I think Elizabeth
1: one. the Great is is absolutely accurate.
2: I think Elizabeth the Eternal is a pretty good one.
1: Elizabeth Eternal? Yeah. I, I think, uh, well, Boris Johnson, I'm not a fan of his, but whatever, um, <laughs> had, had said Elizabeth the Great. And I, I can see that for her. What she has done... She's reigned longer and than any other monarch in in British history. And next to a four-year-old boy on the French throne, she's the longest reigning monarch ever.
2: But she, she was also, wasn't she the longest reigning where the she was in control of her own decisions?
1: Yes, she's a long, she started at 25.
2: Yeah, so she, from the very moment until the very end, all shots were of her own accord.
1: And she was brilliant. And then, of course, you know, it was all about duty. Then we're contrasted with Megan Fucking Markle, who won't stop bitching. I'd like to remind everyone every time we use bad language, we give money to the Boys and Girls Club of America, the Humane Society of America, and free MMA. We swear because we care.
2: Speaking of fucking Meghan Markle, I, I <laughs> want to know how the Royals are going to portray her in their TV show. You got, you have to, I have to see. It. They were the Royals went pretty hard on Diana in their show. So I.
1: What are you talking about?
2: The Royals, the TV show.
1: What TV very, show? The Royals have nothing to do with
2: the TV show. No. Oh, you're
1: talking about The Crown?
2: The Crown. I'm sorry. That's oh. the name of the show, The Crown. The creators of The Crown went pretty hard on Diana as a character and how they portrayed her. So I'd be interested in seeing how they do. Megan, they have to do it, obviously. They might, they're probably, if the show is allowed to continue on, it'll probably continue on up until the passing Queen Elizabeth. But so you, I have to, you have to know how they're going to do that.
1: I don't know. I I just I'm so angry at her because of the grief she and Prince Harry, who was my favorite, caused the monarchy. Yeah, like just so freaking angry with how much grief they caused uh, before the Duke of Edinburgh's death and before Her Majesty's death,
2: even up to the last moment.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I don't. When when I think about the whole situation with Harry and Meghan, it's it's just disappointing really. And every moment has been about her. Anything she had to talk about whenever she came on to her own podcast, whether it's an interview, where there was even her recent uh, speech when she went over to the UK, it was always about her.
1: It is. I'm going to tell everyone there's a great uh, YouTuber named H.G. Tudor. He's a narcissist and psychopath. He's a very, very good. If you want to hear about the Royals from his perspective, specifically Meghan Markle, listen to H.G. Tudor. Free shout out to him. We are going to go to break. When we come back, we are going to be on with Commander Brown, the founder and director of operations of Detroit Threat Management Control and Detroit Urban Survival Training. He's very, very controversial. Some people love him. Some people hate him. I'm excited to have him. Uh, It's a community-based service organization that specializes in teaching people how to create non-adversary interactions for positive, non-violent outcomes. I'm Summer Helene. We are on with my co-host, Bear Fiorda. I'm going to have a cry in the break. We'll be right back after this.
0: access all the time. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Behind the Scenes with host Summer Helene. To connect with the show today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's one 866 472 Four seven two five seven eight eight. 472 5788 You may also send an email to bts at summerhelene.com. Now let's go back behind the scenes.
1: G'day, g'day guys. Welcome back to Behind the Scenes. I'm your host. I've got to call myself Sniffles McGee at this point because so I really cannot stop crying. I'm Summer Helene. We are on with my co-host, Bear Fjorda, the baddest bear in the cage, and our very, very special guest, Commander Brown. Uh, from Detroit Threat Management Control and Detroit Urban Survival Training. Uh, Mr. Brown, welcome to the show. Sorry, I'm, I'm sniffling.
3: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, we
2: definitely appreciate being on here, sir. Now, I've, I'm going to just be very very straightforward with you, and I, this is not a confrontational show, and I'm not a confrontational I like person. Him. But I'm going to say this. I'm a competitive cage fighter. I'm a martial artist of over 20 years. I recently heard about you uh, from TikTok, took some time to watch your videos, people's videos about you and what you've done, and I've discovered two things. One, you are a very genuine person in what you teach, and as a martial artist, I can appreciate that. But there are some things that I'm curious about when it comes to what you teach in of itself, and I would love to hear your perspective on that. But I'd like to start with, if you'd like to tell us a little bit about yourself and what got you into the world Of self-defense training
3: yes great Uh, so in 1995 I was um, teaching self-defense a system I created Uh, the reason I created a a self-defense system and I'll call it a self-defense system at that time because that's the way I thought of it was because I noticed when I was training in martial arts as a kid all the way up through adulthood um, I trained in many different martial arts systems I noticed that uh, they were missing reality which you you know you would have learned later through UFC um and you know I knew that ahead of time that this doesn't make sense that um the concept of two-step sparring things like that just that that did not appeal to me in martial arts as a kid growing up so as an adult um and as a airborne paratrooper and as I got to see more reality uh play out in you know actual uh physical altercations I, um, I realized that I was right the entire time. And then what brought it home was when UFC came out, UFC won, and you got to see all these great martial artists that, you know, have multiple black belts, uh, you know, 7th degree black belts, and all these amazing accolades from, you know, uh, you know the, the ancient traditional arts and uh, amazing, you know, backgrounds. And then they got beat up by, you know, guys who were just wrestlers, guys who were grapplers and basic judokans. Um And they got, I mean, just lost horribly. And weight class was very important. You know, in the first UFCs, um, there was no um, there wasn't no weight class. So you got a chance to see that you could be a big fat guy and beat the, the crap out of somebody with more skills than you, more moves, more technique. Uh, and uh, then, of course, you could hit in the groin back then. Um, you know, so, that, of course, you can't do any of that stuff now. But um, there's a lot of things that, you know, they, they stopped doing. But you got a chance to see what's more brutal. For me, I always took martial arts because I wanted to maintain safety for myself. I always thought man, I wish, you know, that I could not be um, bullied. I could not be attacked by multiple aggressors. Uh, and so for me, it was, it was always about self-defense. And then when I came to Detroit and I was teaching self-defense, um, and this is after the military, I was a private an investigator, and I, I realized the importance of law. And so I, I realized there's a huge gaping other problem on top of the fact that there's not a lot of guns and knives in traditional martial arts, but there is in America. There's lots of guns and knives out here, but yet my training – Uh, barely touched on it in these different martial arts systems. And um, yet in real life, people have guns and knives all the time. So I thought, man, why why would we not have a self-defense school that focuses, since we are in America, on the use of guns and knives uh, and how to defend yourself with a gun and knife and how to defend yourself from a gun and knife, right? So that's what I focused on as I went to different martial arts schools as an adult. And then when I came to Detroit, I also infused law. So imagine knowing the law before you touch someone legally Civilly, what happens to me? How can I be sued? How can I uh, cut down on my ability to be sued? How can I decrease the the chance of me being sued? Um, More importantly, how do I not go to prison when I'm done defending myself? What's the difference between uh, self-defense and what's not considered self-defense? How do we know that? How do we prove that? What does the law say? And then imagine that's not in any of the martial arts I ever took, even when I had SWAT team commanders that were um, uh, in charge of the school I went to, which is Kyokushinkai uh, one of my instructors was a SWAT team commander, great guy, um, excellent person, and, um, and a great teacher, and went to the Olympics at one point. And this individual, um, we never talked about the law and applying it to our tactics. So what I did was I created a school with the idea that you would know how to legally defend yourself on the ground, standing up with a knife, with a gun, you leave your shoes on because, you know, I go to these different schools, take our shoes off, and shoes changes everything. So does special clothing, Right. And so in real life, I wanted to make a school that's regular for regular people, real-life people. Um, that could actually help them defend themselves, whether they're dealing with a gun or knife or standing up or on the ground, dealing with multiple aggressors. That was the original purpose. And then a girl got chased off a bridge here in Detroit in 1995 in front of a crowd of people. And uh, I thought to myself, I wish I was on that bridge. I could have stopped this woman from being taken out of her car by force, by men, big men. Um, and it killed in front of her daughter. Essentially, her daughter's in the car. They were trapped on a bridge here in Detroit, and the mob, the crowd, cheered as these three men uh, stripped her of her clothing, and then she jumped off a bridge to save herself from what was probably going to be a sexual assault in front of, you know, 100 people. Well, that, that's, that's, I thought, that's man, great. if I could have I'm been there, so sorry, I, sir, that that. Is, if I that had a student there. That is astounding to me.
2: Uh, no, I, I don't mean to cut you off, that's just, that, that I never heard of that story before. Why would... This is a little bit sideways. Do you know why they would have been cheering for her to be potentially assaulted? That's a good,
3: that's a great question. And you know what I believe? Because I'm from Ann Arbor, Michigan, where University of Michigan is at. um, Honestly, I thought the media was lying. I was like, oh, this is some, you know, uh, media uh, foolishness. They're trying to sensationalize this attack on this lady. And it's it's tragic enough, but, you know, it's horrible that they're trying to make this. There's no way I believe that these people were cheering. No way. And I can tell you right now. You know, 27 years later, what I can tell you is 100%. I'm sure that they were cheering because I've seen it myself. And we rescued women and men in these situations when mobs were screaming uh, to kill the female or kill the guy, and helping to beat these people that did do not know (laughs) they're just helping to attack them, and it's uh, a mob mentality. And so I've seen that. I've done. You see, we rescued people in those situations.
1: You see and things like and, that. And it you it you happened per, in India. One. It's happened in Japan on buses. It's actually oh, yeah. uh, not as uncommon a situation as you would think. Wow. Um, yes. I yes. wish it was, but it's, it's um, the, the flip side of the bystander effect,
3: unfortunately. Yes. Which Jesus is correct. where correct. groups engage. A lot engage. of people don't know that. Yes, a lot of people don't know that, but that's what people do. They actually cheer you on. Now you can see it in some of the videos where you actually watch some craziness and they're video recording, right? Because now you have video cameras. Back then, there was no video cameras, really. So, um, but now you actually see it, and you're thinking, "Well, why don't they help? Why don't they get involved?" That's that's individuation. They're not going to do that. It's not normal. Uh, and then the center, the reverse of this center effect, is where you actually want to see it evolve into something more, more fighting. Uh, and I've seen it, you know, uh, personally on many occasions. So now it's just now it's normal because we're involved in dealing with a lot of um, special events and nightclubs uh, where the violence was commonplace, where gangs would frequent and shoot the place and shoot people. And so that's where we got a lot of our experience from. But I I went from there when the girl got chased off the bridge. And I thought, you know, what's most important is not running a business where I could make money teaching self-defense in a city that's dangerous. Uh, What I then decided was what's more important is I teach the regular people how to defend themselves. And it doesn't matter if I make money. And I thought, you know, I'll just I'll I'll, I'll figure something out. So I was teaching in parks. I already didn't have any money. I was teaching in parks and uh, people would pay and just train with me all day. And I just started getting students on the suburbs and I was renting facilities. I started making some money. When this happened, um, I decided what was most important is to focus on families that are most at risk. And um, on the east side of Detroit, uh, that's where they were at risk. And I lived in a building that was right on a major street, which is like a, a, a 17 story building, with maybe middle class people live there. And then all 10 of the buildings around there were um, lower working class people or poor people um, that were in lower, lower, uh, ex- uh, lower economic circumstance buildings, right? And um, they called it this area, Crack Alley. That's what the people called it. That's what the police called it. And I'm not used to accepting the fact that people have to live in a substandard way where, where it relates to violence, right? So I did not know people were being home invaded and murdered. Uh, and in my in my community, I did not know that right around my block where I'm from, where I'm sleeping, literally 100 yards away, there are people suffering, uh, being home invaded uh, by my by groups of uh, female and male gangs. I didn't even know there had female gangs. Um, and uh, so I learned all these things through bloodshed the hard way. And what I did was um, my- initially I thought I would be like a liaison, like helping the police and the civilians get along. I was you know, using my private investigator background. And I thought I'd be like a liaison, just helping, you know, people understand how to articulate threats to the police and helping police get the witnesses together so they could prosecute. Because they said on the news that people aren't helping the police. So I believe that. And I was like, well, I'll just help the people and the police get along and, you know, we'll help it be safe around here. We'll make it safe. And um, I was uh, told specifically by a particular sergeant that he does not want me interfering in um, anything in that area. And uh, I told him that I, you know, I'm in charge of security for these buildings. And he, he basically uh, was, um, was uh, not very supportive. And the way I got the security um, deal was uh, I, walked, I talked to the building owner that owns these, he's extremely wealthy, and he owns uh, about 10 buildings. And I went to him and I said, listen, I, you know, people are being murdered. People are, you know, um, uh, people are screaming, There's are shooting, there's people being attacked. I said, you know, if you give me a free apartment in every building that you own, in this one square block, if you give me my apartment for free, because I'm also poor, if you give me a 500-square-foot a, a, a facility so I can set up a school so I don't have to teach outside in the parks anymore or at the YMCA, what I can do is I will train people in the neighborhood to protect your buildings, and you just give me um, uh, the buildings so that each person in that building will actually protect their building 24 hours a day, and I'll have 10 buildings, so I'll have 10 people from the neighborhood I'll protect uh, that I'll train to protect the neighborhood and he looked at me right in the face. He said, wow, that's, that's great. You want to help your people. <laughs> I like that. Uh, but I'm absolutely not interested. I'm not interested at all. I said, what? I don't understand. Why would you not want to help the people stay alive? People are being home invaded in your building. And <laughs> he goes, I'm not making any money, first of all. I haven't made money in 30 years. I've, been, I've not been making money. So how is it that I am going to believe you can do something that the Detroit Police Department can't do? And I thought about it, and I said, uh, he goes, you have a dog? And what? I said, I have a rifle, I have a dog, and I have training. And I have a system. And he was like, oh, yeah. So anyway, what are you going to do that the police department can't do? I said, you know what? That's a good question. I have no idea. I, think <laughs> so the, I know uh, legally, gonna, in order for me to help the families, I'm, I'm going to have to have legal I'm a- cut authority in. to protect you. We actually have
1: to go to break. We have to oh, go okay, to break.
3: Okay.
1: Um, and I Definitely. think what you can do, what they couldn't do, was give a shit. Uh, When we come back, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. I'd love to get more into this. Um, I'm curious about why people consider you so controversial. I want to talk about your TikTok. There's a whole bunch I want to get into when we come back. I love your TikTok, by the way. Um, And we'll talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about why you're so controversial. And I love the fact that you give a shit because I think that is really, really important. I'm Summer Haley. We are on with my co-host, the baddest bear in the cage. Bear Fjorda, we're on with Commander Brown, and we'll be right back after this.
3: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All
0: the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
3: Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought current events and even more about your favorite host it's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com that's blog.voiceamerica.com the voice america press blog all access all the time
0: follow the voice america variety channel on twitter our hosts always
3: have something to say and we know that you do too we tweet on today's hot topics and you're welcome to follow us Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's
0: at Voice AM Variety. You are listening to Behind the Scenes with host Summer Helene. To connect with the show today, please call one 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to bts at SummerHellene.com. Now let's go back Behind the Scenes.
1: G'day, g'day, guys. Welcome back to Behind the Scenes. I'm your host, Summer Helene, and we're on with my co-host, the baddest bear in the cage, Bear Fiorda, and our very special guest from Detroit Urban Survival, Commander Brown. G'day, g'day. Welcome back. Uh, I know we were talking about a story right beforehand, um, and then we have a couple yes. of questions.
3: Okay. So in closing, uh, what got it started was I did, I did say to the uh, building owner, you know, I heard you lost 70000 Give me six months and let me stop these home invasion murders or, you know, at least die trying. And he said, you have six months. And within that six months, we stopped all the home invasions and murders, and the building owner went into the black for the first time, and the police said that their um, 911 calls went down by 300 percent. Uh and so as a result, that's how we got started was actually creating conditions for families to live safely. And uh that's how like the business model uh, actually grew from there.
1: I like that's that. Wonderful. That's really really good. Uh you're on TikTok, people love you. Uh they can find I know they can find you on TikTok. You're there, people love you or they hate you. You have people who are so for you and so behind you and so many people you've helped and you've people who are really against your teaching. Why do you think you are so controversial?
3: Well, it's, it's easy. Um, I would be against my training as well if I wasn't me. And that's because all the training I got from traditional sources, uh, those are people, and I didn't think about this at the time when I was a kid or a young adult in my early 20s. Uh, now I'm 53, so I have years of experience of bloodshed. So the difference between me at 20 in my 20s and now is I hadn't been through a lot of bloodshed. So if you have not been in a situation where you've been shot at, stabbed have people trying to kill you, and, and you have to look at them in the face while they're trying to kill you, if you've not been in force-on-force conflict with people trying to kill you, multiple aggressors, if you've not been in, in these kinds of um, extreme conditions, you, you don't know that the way you move, the way you think, the way you behave, all those things are completely different than it is in a sport and it is in an art form. It's completely different. It's like the difference between um, point fighting and MMA. There's no way you can compare point, point fighting to MMA. Well, there's no way you, could, you can ever compare a sport – fight to a survival fight for your life. It's completely I, different. Now it's, I'm going to So that's gonna, where that's where it I'm looks different. That's where it is different. Uh, you you are so right about that, but I'm going to say this, sir, I, I, again,
2: yeah, I, only only because only because this is one of the points where I do stand against you here. As a competitive fighter, what we do sure is sport. Sure we have rules but this isn't to say that it would not come into context and apply in a fight there's a story recently where an australian fighter was attacked by two other individuals he's a professional cage fighter he does not do any kind of street fighting tactics or whatnot and he came out when they attacked him and he put them down quickly completely immediately and so Mm -hmm. what i'm saying here is there are definitely aspects where they apply both in street fighting and in the cage but to say that it doesn't work because it's only based in rules is a very hard point to sell to many people who have been in real fights, both in and out of sports.
3: Yeah, so so that's like uh, that 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 theory is is you know fine, um, and uh, you know for example, I know some boxers that did good in fighting in the street before, but I also know a guy that could beat up every boxer I know who also got beat down by five guys, and so did his girlfriend. That doesn't mean he's not a better fighter. I mean, there's, recently there was a great box, there was a great uh, jujitsu champion who was killed at a concert by, um, by, by one man with a gun. Uh, but that's not the only jujitsu champion that was killed. There's many, uh, uh, fighters, many professionals that are, um, killed by people that have no skill uh, because they were, uh, either outnumbered or because they had a different type of weapon system. It's fair. Um, that's fair. In some cases the kids are killing adults that are much better fighters than them. So the idea that, uh, you know, there was a, there was a gunman that came with a, um, a rifle to a football game, and a football player tackled him, an active shooter. And guess what? A bunch of school teachers have stopped active shooters. A bunch of kids have stopped active shooters. So that's, that's fine, right? But you don't want to say, hey, kids, go out and attack all the active shooters. You're fine. But you do want to train them so they could actually protect themselves by having intelligent options rather than primal instinct to manage those issues. And kids save themselves every day from gunmen. They save themselves every day with no training from uh, abduction. So imagine if you gave them some ideas that instead of punching someone, they pushed their eyes in. Now that female, that male, that child is more likely to survive than they would if they slapped someone or punched them. Uh, imagine the idea that you're going to uh, do something you do in a sport, but in real life, when you know for a fact that nine times out of ten when you punch someone, they usually punch you back, and this person is out of your weight class or this group is out of your weight class, so that's common, right? In America, you get jumped. and In fact, in many places in the world, you get jumped. Uh, there was a great fighter that was killed in um, New Zealand, I think it was. Um,
2: yeah, Auckland, Australia. New Zealand. He got a, it was actually a friend of middleweight yes. champ Israel Asanya. So he got jumped outside. Yes. It was inside of a mart. One hit, knocked him out to the floor, yes. and he just one died on hit. impact.
3: Yes, yes. And that's, that's what I'm saying. That's an example of, of one aspect of it. And the reality is, um, uh, so in our case, we deal a lot of violence. Over the years, so we protect people in real life. So that's what we do right now. So right now, just like day one, when we protect, when we train people, we train them to protect people. So we got a chance to see our training. So imagine never seeing what it's like uh, to use your elbow into someone's open mouth, right, and with their teeth exposed out of your weight class, and vice versa. Someone smaller than you, someone bigger than you. Uh, imagine not seeing what it's like to smash someone's skull to the concrete, or someone smashing your skull to the concrete. Imagine not understanding the difference between a knife and a gun and, um, you know, how you have to think differently and behave differently. And if you're a lawful person, imagine not understanding the law while you're using weapons and using your hands and dealing with these things. And, of course, for me, it's double uh, responsibility because I'm the one who trains them and I'm the one who actually puts them in position. So that means I have a lot more responsibility to understand the psychology of the team members, the psychology of the people that we're dealing with, uh, the laws involved, as well as the skills. And it goes in that order. Psychology first, law second, skills last. Because if you have skills, but you don't understand the law and you don't understand psychology, you will not know a real threat from false threat, and you also will not be able to legally conduct yourself if you don't know the law and how it works. And good people go to prison every day for that reason.
1: From a legal perspective, I actually agree with you completely. From a psychological perspective, I agree with you completely. So why do you think you have so many dissenters specifically in the martial arts community?
3: Because they did not do what I did, and it's, it's very rare. Um, I'm sorry, it's unheard of. That is that, uh, and I didn't do what they did. So, you know, we see things totally different. I am not a sport fighter. Uh, I trained many sport fighters. Many of the people on my staff have sport fighters. Uh, one of my guys, the king of the cage from California, he was a winner, uh, Brandon Hunt. He was also a police officer for um, many years. He's still a police officer, a federal police officer now, and he's in charge of our law enforcement training program. And he's been j- doing jiu-jitsu for, you know, I think 30 years. Um, but, uh, he is, um, I've been a student of mine for about five years because he loves the, the reality of our training and, um, as a police officer, he's been in many situations. So he saw it was applicable. Um, but, uh, the reason that people don't see my training as appropriate is because they have not been in bloodshed situations on a consistent basis to see what really happened. They weren't responsible for bodies for lives. They weren't responsible for multiple people and have to go out armed and armed and have to deal with force and force conflict with gangs. And that, if you do that, it'll change you. So what you got to do is like, it's like real, it's like, imagine, um, you know, uh, again, going back to point fighting versus MMA fighting, it's totally different. It's, it's, you know, you could be a a seventh degree black belt and, and be great in martial arts and then go into MMA setting and some high school kid could, uh, could submit you. So, you know, you're talking about two separate subjects. It doesn't mean that the traditional martial arts is not good. It means that you just changed something, and now it's no longer uh, going to be something that can help them against this particular type of person. And So you when you're it's... dealing with um, with black violence in the street, you're talking about something completely different. You're talking about psychology, law and skill that must be in an order. So we have an actual system, an academic system. You have, you have training that's academic. So you learn about the law. you learn about psychology, but it's not theoretical. It's learned through bloodshed. So I tell you about what it means when someone stands like this, when they move like this, and then how to create nonviolence by understanding proxemics and how it how it affects the mind, uh, understanding how to um, understand brain science, understanding human reaction time, uh, understanding
2: That's your subconscious response uh, to, to threats. I'm <laughs> so sorry. I get what you're saying. I, I absolutely agree with you. But you said something earlier that, that touched me, and I had a question lined up for you on this exact matter. So I, I love that you brought this up. You, I, I would consider you, or at least from what I hear of other people and yourself and your teachings, weapons expert, gun expert, military man. So why do you think other people in your particular field, military specialists, Navy SEALs, say that the techniques you teach people are either not viable or at most dangerous? A prominent person being Jocko Willink has spoken out against you particularly.
3: Oh, Raf, um Vass Rudin too. I was really shocked. That's, that's one of my, that's one of my, my jiu heroes.
2: Ah, that makes, it <laughs> makes sense. <laughs>
3: oh, yeah. So, um, but imagine... When did any of them come to the United States, defend anyone in the United States, out in the streets, poor people for no money, against gangs? Now, once you show me that person, we can have a conversation. But they're not not talking about
2: defending people. uh, Listen, what what you do is fantastic. I love that you do that for the community. But what they're talking about is from the perspective of military or at least confrontation in a street or urban environment, like Jocko would have done with his SEALs and the people underneath him,
3: leading people. Yeah, no, they haven't done this. That's what I'm trying to say to you. Yeah. Respectfully— they didn't do this. They could. They could go out right now, train people, go out to the street and go protect women and children from their abusers that are going to kill them, okay? Because that's happened across our country. Domestic violence is a very serious problem. So go out there, keep them alive. And guess what? Some jujitsu guys have done it and they died doing it. Some didn't, I'm sure, but uh, some have died. And that's because it's a different thing dealing with a person who's coming to kill someone versus someone who just wants to fight. And my point in saying that is, we need to train jiu people, boxers, and everyone to understand these things to increase their survivability. There is no competition here. I'm not like, competing with Willenick or any of these people. SEAL team guys right, and everyone right. else needs to understand these things to increase their survivability and staying out of trouble. So imagine you try to use SEAL team training without understanding the law in the United States. You can literally get yourself in a lot of trouble. And uh, uh, SEAL team guys right. that tell you that. There's the SEAL team guys right now telling a story about I gotten some stuff with... Uh, with uh, uh, people right out of buds, you got in trouble with the police right out of buds. Um, and so I mean, this is real. So you understand the law. If you don't understand the law, you literally can destroy your whole family. Your, you know, my point is to help people not make a mistake. Understand psychology, understand law, and have the skills. Now, where did I get my knowledge from? Bloodshed. You should not have to learn the way I learned. You should not have to understand um, what happens when and how to articulate threat with blood all over you. Bloodborne pathogens are a problem. I was very fortunate. You should not have to i make the mistakes I made to learn this way. So I'm teaching from these mistakes. So we got shot. We got shot at. We had to stabilize our wounded and, level and take, take them to level one trauma hospitals. Why do we have to take them to level one trauma hospitals? I didn't even know what a level one trauma hospital was. I thought all hospitals um, were essentially the same. You know, at least I thought all had doctors they could deal with gunshot wounds. That's not true. Only certain hospitals will do that. Level one trauma hospital. So you have to know that. And that's what we teach. So you're becoming your own bodyguard. This is the stuff you need to know if so, you are an, an actual bodyguard is how to get your client stable if they're wounded and get them to where they have to go. And that's the level think, one trauma hospital versus any other hospital. I'm sorry.
1: I, think that's, that, I think that's really, really important. Uh, and I think I, I see the response you get from people in Detroit. I see the positive response. I see people reaching out, talking about how you helped them. I think the police have talked about it, but I think more specifically what Bear was talking about, which I think he was a little broad on it were, uh, specifically one of the complaints that people had was a technique you have where you move the gun away from your head. Uh, People yeah. who have been in combat situations say that doesn't work. And now I don't know anything about it. I'm Australian. We don't really do guns like that, so I couldn't tell you. But the complaint with them is that that wouldn't work. I'm not sure what would work because if someone pointed a gun at me, I'd need new pants. But
3: Well, well if, uh, if it didn't work, we'd be dead. I can show you that.
1: So how does yeah, that we, work? We, we and then why do, why do people who have been through that or been on the other because end of that –
3: Yeah, they haven't done it. So I mean, they have to come out of their, you know, there's a very big difference between fighting as a soldier uh, or military personnel in a foreign country and fighting uh, for your safety and the safety of others in the United States as a civilian. Okay, that's a whole other thing. (laughs) And you interjecting in some woman and man situation where a man's coming to kill a woman or some uh, man is coming to kill his family. Uh, because they're inheriting something. Or there's many different uh, scenarios where we have to put our life at risk for poor people, regular people, witnesses of crime. These are people who did nothing wrong except live their life, and there's no one to protect them. So we don't volunteer to protect people for no reason. You have to be, uh, you have to have a, we have an actual formula that determines your threat level. And these are women, children, <laughs> elderly people, families, entire families, uh, gay people, straight people, it doesn't matter. Muslims, Christians, we protect everyone. And what we're protecting them from is death. Uh, and you know, there's, there's, there's things you need to know, right? Like if you're, if I was going to be in a sport, I would need to talk to a sport fighter and they'd tell me a lot of things. Okay. They would teach me a lot of things that I would need to know to be in that sport. Now I've been kicking and punching people a long time. That's not what the sport is about. There's a lot more involved. There's, there's things about water and dieting and all kinds of stuff that deal with you getting ready for this fight and, you know, sleep and, uh, the things that they do that, I mean, just like being tri- like being a triathlete. There's a lot more than just riding a bike, swimming and running. There's a lot of psychology involved in fighting, sport fighting, okay? But it's sport psychology. There's a lot of um, laws. Do you know what happens if you were in in a a, a sport and you purposely take your fingers and you jam them in someone's eyes on purpose? uh, You're going to be disqualified on a good day. And if they, if they, they believe you did it with maliciousness, they could charge you. You can't grab, you can't bite someone. And these are things that happen in fights every day in high school. I mean, it's high school fights. People get hit in eyeballs and throats and mm. get bitten do, and all kinds of stuff, stabs. Do, shot. You, so, I mean, do that, you think that, – that's, oh, that's normal in high school. I'm sorry.
1: Do you, do you think people can accurately learn this through places like YouTube and oh, TikTok? 100%. I know they're
3: really really. Listen, people are saving How? themselves with no training. So police officers have been disarmed by people with no training. Uh, civilians get disarmed by people with no training. There's a video I just, I just uh, put on our website uh, on our uh, Threat Management Center um, YouTube. If you go to Detroit Threat Management Center YouTube, you'll see I uploaded it today. It's a homeowner who's in good shape, chases a, uh, a thug out of his house with a gun. The thug turns on him, takes the gun, pistol whips him, and tries to shoot him. Uh, and so people are not understanding what violence is. so They don't understand how it works. How did a man happen to get rushed? And that man's athletic. Okay, so most people are not only as, as good a shape this guy is in. And how did this happen? Because he didn't understand psychology. You didn't understand he was with a predator. A predator is not going to tell you I'm going to attack you. In fact, they're going to tell you they're not going to attack you before they attack you. So imagine um, not understanding psychology means you could be a great shooter. You could be the best shooter in the world. And a person could come up and kill you just because you did not know you were in danger and did not take the proper action to keep yourself alive. That has happened many times. You could be a, and so a, an you're saying you can teach them these proper actions
2: through social media and I I am saying you you're saying you can teach people these things effectively through social media.
1: Well, I know, I want you to get oh, through this question listen, quickly there because inspired, I have like 80 of them book. on TikTok.
2: Okay.
3: You know, uh, no, you know I I, you know, I teach Buckley? people on
2: social media too, so I kind of get I get a little bit of it, but I always from the standpoint of the best training will always come from being able to do it live with another body, another person actively resisting of you.
3: Uh, under ideal conditions, absolutely. But do you know uh, Buckley, a uh, fighter?
2: Buckley. Buck- Buckley.
3: I, actually, yeah, that last name rem- yeah. that reminds I was, me of someone. Joaquin Buckley is a professional fighter, and uh, I was his corner man in Las Vegas this year. I became a licensed uh, corner man, and I uh, cornered with him this year. And he um, he won his fight. But before that, when he first went to Dubai and first got um his first paycheck he knocked out a guy with this kick um he called it the two-touch kick and he knocked him out and got 20 million hits or 30 million hits of uh, views on uh on online it's an awesome kick and his teacher was youtube everything he learned was from youtube he never had a teacher prior to that point now he's got great coaches of course but before that he learned and his friend learned by watching youtube videos Wow.
1: So I'm going to jump into lightning round. We have a bunch of questions for you online. I'd like to try and get to a few of them. So we're going to try lightning round since we only have about five minutes left. Um, First question. What is the best way to defend yourself if you don't see someone coming?
3: Um, The best way you can. You have to adapt to whatever happens to you and the more intelligent options you have the better your outcome is going to be.
1: Can a smaller person defend against a larger person in a physical attack?
3: 100%. There's many women that are in prison right now because they killed a man who was much larger than them, and that's because they were committed to their outcome and saving their lives, the lives of their children in some cases.
1: Okay. I have a personal question how did you get so popular on tiktok just for anyone out there that wants to do that because one of the questions we always get and i have 10 different variations of this is how did you get famous online
3: Mm -hmm. my wife uh went online and she contacted um some um influencers and asked them for tutoring and they you know they charge like 100 bucks or something 300 bucks or something and she listened to them and she started listening to what they said about algorithms and music and uh, trending music and times of day and keeping patterns. And as she did that, it just blew up and people went crazy. We had 2.8 million followers in less than three months.
1: Well, tell your and wife. I said she's
3: awesome. I didn't know how amazing that was.
1: Yeah. Tell your wife. I said she's awesome. Cause that's up my alley. And I love people like that. People that do that are incredible. <laughs> yes.
3: incredible. Yeah. She okay. just figured, you know, she just kept experimenting every day until she figured out a system and, and and you know you pay attention to the to the the analytics, you can see it, and you see your results. And um, as she did that, I was honing my um, communication, my um, comfort with being in front of the camera, um, and then that, you know getting more into the, the the actual showmanship of it. Because I know that that people you know lose attention quickly, so I try to keep their attention so they actually learn something. My old what drives me is knowing I got a lot of stories back over twenty seven years of teaching uh, and protecting people. Um, So now I get to see my students actually fight um, to survive and protect people's lives and take people down. And I'm very proud of, of seeing their results of their, of their work. Right. So imagine you, you coaching someone and you see them fight, but now imagine what you're doing is stopping rape, robbery, and murder. And it's, it's a great thing to be able to see your team members train with you and go out and protect people's lives and stop horrible events from happening in people's lives. And then what's even better is when I see stories that come back to me from people that I haven't seen for 10, 15, 20 years, or people that sometimes I've never met will call me or contact me and tell me how uh, the training saved their lives. And that's my, my life mission. So for me, that's what it's all about. Every day I want to get information the, out there to save lives.
2: Absolutely. And I was, no, I can only imagine, sir. And absolutely. Speaking of that stuff, what does real life training look for your, for your students and your team members?
3: Uh, you said, what does the training look like?
2: Yes, sir. When it comes to things where, oh. you know, random events can happen, maybe yeah. they steal the gun from you, maybe you can get the draw on them. What does it look like for your students?
3: Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, you can actually see it. it. We actually have uploaded lives of our training. So you can actually see how our training, our students are. But you also got, I got 27 years of, I mean, I got 27 years of footage up over the past 12 years. So I started in 2010 um, and nobody cared until two thousand. 20 or something. What it was, one video got us 900,000 followers on YouTube. And you know what it was? It's the gun disarmed to the chest, right? Gun to the chest. And uh, that is the most controversial video all over the earth. Uh, We got, um, right now we got 157 million, uh, about 157, 156 million um, views on this one video. We have uh, about um, 200,000 dislikes, that's thumbs down. And we have uh, almost 7 million likes.
2: I'd so say the likes get, have you, it in that it, case.
3: So the, the, the 200,000 dislikes, these people think that they're the majority. Um, they're never the majority. I've, I've never seen so much positivity everywhere I go in this country. California, Texas, uh, New Hampshire. Um, oh, God. Austin, uh, uh, every single place I go. Uh, South Florida, incredibly positive. Uh, country towns, I don't care where I go, it could be a gas station in Florida, everyone is super positive, super happy and super excited. And so it's, it's now, great to see people happy, man.
1: We only have about three minutes left of the show. I'd love to have you on again because we have like 600 questions for you. Absolutely. No exaggeration that we never got to. Okay. <laughs> but I really did enjoy hearing you talk. Um, I, I really great. did. I learned, I learned a great deal. Um, I would love to have you on again. I'm going to have Alexis contact you and set that up. Cause I know we're going to get so much great. hate mail for not asking you people's questions.
3: We <laughs> don't oh, I, you know, like, let them know. They can go to our, um, YouTube and, and you can also Google us on, on, uh, just Google. You'll see, I mean, thousands of, of, of videos, pictures, and, uh, lots of stories in the media, national and international media. So we've gotten, uh, you know, cause before this, before this social media hype right now, um, we were already uh, being um, featured in a lot of uh, publications related to the people that like freedom in our country and people that like, um, you know, less government and more um, protection and more self-protection and self-reliance. And uh, they were very supportive of our organizations for the past, you know, decade. So they've been flying me around the country to talk about how I was able to protect the community how we still protect communities. Currently, we protect about 5,000 families 24 hours a day, seven days a week. In our 27 years, none of our families have been killed. Not one home invasion, not one murder, um, not one carjacking, which, by the way, is a lot. that says a lot here in Detroit. Because if you look at the crime mapping, uh, crimemap.com, you'll see that around our communities, there's um, like just last week, there was a mass murderer that was one block away from us and away from our protected community, one of our protected communities. And that's because they don't come in our community because they don't believe they can do this so safely. And that's because okay. of our history of being responsive to the people's needs to keep them alive and safe
1: we, by proactively
3: uh, preventing them from being. Hunted. We,
1: we have about 10 seconds left.
3: Tell everyone what okay. you find um, you. Detroit urban survival training, and you can reach us at Detroit underscore dust on um, Instagram and Detroit threat management center on YouTube.
1: Okay, guys. I promise we'll have him on again. Don't send me hate mail for not answering the que- asking the questions. I promise we will. I'm Summer Helene. Yeah. Thank you very, very, very much for being on. Thank you, of course, to my co-host, Bear Fjord. You can find him everywhere at Bear Fjord. He's the guy that punches people in the face.
2: And don't forget to follow the show at TuneInBTS across all social media platforms and listen to the shows live here on America. They, they
1: know where to find us. They're already sending me angry messages for not asking him questions. Well, I'm plugging the show in. Okay, fine. Guys, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week. Ah. Good night.